Well, good morning once again. I am excited about the message this morning as we continue uh, our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's, it's been pretty wonderful just, just for me. I think as this is kind of a new way for me to preach, and I, I got to tell you, I, I actually really, really love it because it, it just feels like there are roots, you know, being being put down into deep soil. It feels like there's there are precepts being built upon precepts. I hope you guys are seeing the value of preaching and teaching this way as well. Um, as it just kind of builds brick by brick your your knowledge of the Word of God. And um, so today we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the Word of God. Actually, we'll start with verse 9. This is the Word of God. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man's work must be careful, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will indicate it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to the truth of your word today, and may we submit to it with all of our being. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So we see that he references the day, and today's message title is Discerning Judgment, Discerning Judgment. And there are, it's a typical reference in God's Word, the, 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 ter, the term, the day, okay? And it's about a day of judgment. And there are several different uh, times throughout Scripture that this phrase is used or referred to. For instance... For Adam and Eve, uh, their judgment day was in the garden. Genesis 3.8, Genesis 3.8 says, Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, uh, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they heard God in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I can't tell you how many times growing up I heard the... Uh, the preacher or preachers say that Adam used to walk and talk with garden in the uh, with God in the garden in the cool of the day, as if it was like a nice afternoon, a cool afternoon, and and they were just strolling through the Garden of Eden, and that's a wonderful thought, uh, you know, kind of pointing to the intimacy that Adam had with with God. But the Hebrew phrase is most accurately translated here and understood as referring to approaching thunder like his, God's footsteps, okay, as a strong wind, a, a breath, an exhalation, or even 
anger, like a sigh, a great sigh. In other words, God entered the Garden of Eden that day like a storm front. And you guys have all experienced that here in the south, right? The air gets thick, the, the barometric pressure drops. It's like you can almost feel it. Um, the, the trees start bending and cracking. The leaves start, you know, swishing and blowing around. And um, your stomach kind of sinks, right? You see the, the sky turn a certain color that, that's a little bit eerie. The hair on the back of your neck raises up, and, and it's like something's off about this situation. There's a storm that's coming in, right? You guys have experienced that. Well, that's exactly what Adam and Eve experienced that day, because what did they do when they heard God? They hid themselves. He wasn't whistling, strolling through the garden. This was judgment day, all right? So throughout Scripture, there are different references to different judgments, and and if you um, sin against God, obviously, and God lays down certain parameters uh, that you're supposed to obey or abide by, Adam in the garden, he disobeyed God, he faced judgment day, all right? Um, the generations before Noah, they faced judgment day. The, the Tower of Babel, they faced judgment day. You, there's story after story of how men have disobeyed God and failed to meet God's holy expectations. They fall short of the glory of God, and as a result, they are judged. Israel in Ezekiel 20, it speaks of the judgment of Israel, that there uh, was a time in which there would be a day that Israel would be cut off, okay, that they would be judged, and that again is in Ezekiel 20. The judgment of the nations we find in Matthew 25. The judgment of Satan and demons we see in Jude 6. The judgment of the unsaved, we see in Revelation 20. And you guys can make note of those things and you can go back and read those later on. I think it's important for us to have an understanding of the righteous judgment of God, okay? Um, and that we're in balance in how we view God and His attributes, that if God is love, then He cannot allow certain things to go um, unless uh, or, or else He would not be righteous, okay? If He loves the righteous then he has to punish the wicked. He has to deal with them. And so that's what we see there as, as time culminates and we enter this new phase of a new heaven and a new earth where all former things have passed away and all things are made new. We get to live in this existence. I love what the song says that we're going to live in a country unstained by sin, unstained by evil, unstained by wickedness. We're going to live in an existence in eternity that's never even known sin. And that's a, that's a really exciting thing to think about. But this passage is specifically speaking of the day of judgment, not for the believers themselves, okay, but rather the believer's works to test. It's the trial of your works, the, the quality of the motives of your works and the things that you do, the things you do and the things you say. Now, um, I don't know about you, but when I think about this, I mean, it's great to know that we're not going to stand there in judgment and face punishment, but it's also interesting to think about how in, in, this, in this way that every single thing that you say and every single thing that you do, everything, that's what Scripture says, we do all as unto the Lord because everything you say and everything you do will be tested for the believer on this day. Everything, okay? And there will be a time of reward. So this is not like a courtroom type judgment. 
This is more of a tribunal. It's more of a judgment declaring and rewarding uh, much like the Olympics when they stand the gold, silver, and bronze and they stand there and they, they, they uh, put the medal around their neck. That's more closely related to what we're talking about here for the believer. So your work will be burned up and you may suffer loss if nothing's left, if you're just completely, you know, uh, haven't done anything at all for the Lord. Um, but basically, you'll still receive a reward. And if everything's burned up, it says, yet you will be saved as though escaping through flames. And the, the um, picture there is of a house that's burning down around you. It's like, you're going to be saved, but just barely. <laughs> you know, like you won't really have anything to show for it. Well, um, so it's interesting to read through this and study this. Uh, Paul elaborates on this topic in his second letter to the church at Corinth. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, uh, his second letter to Corinth, he goes into a little more detail, and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that word is bema. That, and again, picture the Olympics, okay? Um, so that each one may be recompensed, and that's... Uh, compensated, paid for, okay, so that each one may be rewarded for his deeds in the body. So your lifetime, everything you do, everything you say will be given account before Christ and you will be uh, rewarded for all of the things that you have done, whether good or bad. Now, it's important to note that word good means uh, that it produces eternal good or satisfaction. So the things that you did, there was eternal value to them, okay? And then that word bad is simply worthless. Like you did so many things of the flesh, so many things that had no eternal value whatsoever. You were just kind of feeding your own flesh, feeding your own ego, whatever. And, uh, and so those things will be burned up. They'll be worthless. That's the wood, the hay, the, the straw, okay? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, this is uh, Jesus speaking. And you've heard him, you've heard these words quoted before, but he's reiterating this theology. Isn't it interesting how in the epistles we find the theology of Christ repeated in the conduct of the church? So the things that he taught about through the Gospels, we find Paul revisiting and Peter revisiting in the epistles. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your heart is the seat of your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your personalities, the things that you are passionate about. And it's saying that where you place your passion in your life will determine whether your works are gold, silver, precious stones because they are of eternal value or whether they're wood, hay, and straw because they're of earthly or worldly value. Do you guys understand that? Every once in a while, if you want to throw out an amen, it won't hurt my feelings. That just lets me know you're with me, okay? Uh, so right now, in this very moment, right here today, in every act, right, the thoughts and the intents of your heart, the real reasons why you're here this morning, the real reasons why we do things, um, we can hide those. We can put up a front. 
But on this day, all of those things will be laid bare. They'll be laid out before, before God and they'll be tested. And, and this is why it's so important to understand why we must do all we do as unto the Lord. And this is not a condemnation. This is not a burden. This is simply, it's actually freedom. If you do what you do in freedom because you love Jesus with all of your heart, you love God with all of your heart, then you are going to be racking up some gold, silver, and precious stones. But if you're trying to work away and, and toil and prove yourself to God, you may be doing the exact same things as another believer, but because your motives are off, then you're racking up wood, hay, and straw. Do you guys understand that? Okay, there is coming a day in which everything we do for the Lord and every word we say will be brought into the light and tested for what it truly is. You'll have to forgive me once in a while for being redundant, okay? But I think sometimes it helps just kind of drive the point home. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Matthew 12, 36, lest you think that I'm just making things up, I want you to see what Jesus said here. He says, this is again Matthew 12, 36, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. And, and some translations even say every idle word. When you're just talking for no reason at all, you're just talking, right? Uh, we need to understand that, understand that words have purpose and our deeds have purpose. And the purpose for all of that is to point to Christ. And, um, and so, I just wanted to make that point that even every idle word that we speak will be accounted for on that day. And I want to bring clarity this morning to that topic of judgment because the most prevalent theological stance on judgment of any kind today is the, the verse, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Um, they quote this, I saw a meme of, uh, it said modern theology and it said judge not and all the rest of the scripture was scribbled out with a red pen, you know? And that just seems to be the approach that people take. That's Matthew 7, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, it's always uh, or often that scripturally shallow approach to what the Bible says and ripping the verse out of context. So are we supposed to judge others? Well, the answer is yes and no, and I want to bring clarity to that this morning. Again, there are many judgments referred to in God's Word to help us understand the appropriate biblical attitude toward judgment. We need to understand who's going to be judged, why, when, and for what reasons, okay? We need to let the Word of God speak with clarity on this subject. Now, here's one really important thing, and I'm going to repeat it twice so you understand it. We have to be careful not to make judgment synonymous with condemnation, all right? Especially for the believer. Judgment does not equal condemnation, all right? Uh, for the true believer, and that is really the question. That's always the question. And I, I know people think I'm busting their chops a lot, okay, when I talk about, are you truly saved? And I'm sorry, that I hurt people's feelings. I'm not trying to make anybody doubt their salvation unless, of course, they're not saved. And then, of course, I want you to doubt, doubt it. I want you to know that you know that you know that you're going to be in heaven forever. It's eternity. It's not, it's not a joke, right? I want to know in my heart of hearts 
Not only, not only I have the assurance of my own salvation, but that the people I love are assured of their salvation as well. So if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you look at the last several things that Jesus talked about. And He was constantly drawing a distinction between fake, false believers and true believers, back and forth, back and forth. And He culminated with the whole quote of, "...not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord..." shall enter into heaven, okay? And Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform mighty miracles in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. I know you say you know me, but I never knew you. Do you all understand the significance, the weight of that, and why I bring it up? I want people to know that they know the Lord. It's as simple as that. So that's the question. Has the person in question built their lives on the true foundation of Jesus Christ? Are they truly saved? And so that's what we're going to be discussing some over the next few weeks as well. But if they are a true believer, and that's the stance we're going to take today. We're talking about true believers. If you are a true believer, Scripture tells us that there will be absolutely an ongoing evidence, a growth, a maturity in your life. First, by the fact that you have left behind your, your life of sin. You're no longer involved in the things of the world, okay? And secondly, by the fruit that they will bear in their lives, okay? So the good works, the things that they do for the Lord, those things will be evident in their life. And if there is no fruit, then you have to question the roots. Has, are the roots uh, dug into the right foundational soil, Okay? If you would look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, this is important. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I mean, it's all important, but it's important for the context in which we're speaking of this morning. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So here's the incredible thing about the sovereignty of God is that if you submit to Him and His Word, you will accomplish exactly what He wants you to accomplish. You don't have to strive to do it. If you will just submit to His Word, then you will accomplish the good works that He prepared for you to accomplish beforehand. So if your attitude is everything I say, I want to honor God, and everything I do, I want to honor God, if that is your passion, if that is your motive, then you will be okay on this day, okay, when you stand before the Lord. You'll be just fine. I, I love um, my wife for many, many reasons, but one of the wonderful things in the last several years has been uh, just her, her growing in her love for Christ and her pointing me uh, to Christ as well in the moments that I may not be so Christ-like. And uh, she always does it in a loving and honoring way, but sometimes by simply asking the question, does it honor God? Does, does that honor God? It's as simple as that. And if we would live our lives before we do what we do, before we make that Facebook post, before we say, you know, whatever we're going to say to our family members or our friends or the person who offended us, um, Ask the question, does this truly honor God? And if it doesn't, then why are we doing it? Because it'll be laid bare on this day. 
It'll be laid out there. And we don't want to mess around with things that are fruitless, right? We want to, we want to do everything that we do for Him, all right? So following this passage, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Uh, again, the passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Paul says, remember before when you were without Christ. So he's pointing back, drawing the distinction between a true believer and, some, and how they used to be. Remember before when you were without Christ, you were alienated and you were strangers and you had no idea about the promises and the covenants of God. You had, actually, you had no hope without God. And you were in the world like someone who's drowning out in a, in a chaotic sea being tossed around by the waves. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He opened your eyes to your need for salvation, to your need for Him. You were far away and He did a work in you. He opened your eyes to the truth of Scripture and, and He called you out of the darkness and He set your feet up on the rock, on the firm foundation in the light. He brought you near to the Father through the blood of Christ. And once you are truly His, once you are truly His, what does Romans 8, 1 and 2 tell us? Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. His freedom canceled out the sin and debt that you owe. Do you understand? And there is no more condemnation. No condemnation whatsoever. That's why you don't have to be confused about whether or not the church is going to have to go through the tribulation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not going to beat up his bride the day before the wedding, okay? Uh, you, you don't have to wonder and worry about all of that. You don't have to wonder and worry about whether or not you're truly saved if in fact you see the fruits of, of his works in your life, okay? The Bible says that he died once for all, for all of your sin, and that's called the judgment of sin, the judgment of sin in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Look what it says here. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. So that He may bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So here's what He did. He bundled up all of your sin, past present, and future. Everything you've ever done. You just remember back to that darkest moment of your life. The worst thing you've ever done, He took that. And the worst thing you're going to do 15 years from now, He took that. If you're truly a believer, bundled it up, nailed it to the cross, and it's done away with. It is no more. You are free from all condemnation. So there's no condemnation, none whatsoever. Because you are, look, you're free from the penalty of your sin, because Christ paid for it in full, all right? You are free from the power of sin in your life on a day-to-day -day basis, so it no longer has a hold of you. You are no longer the slave of sin. You can now walk in holiness in the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of the Word of God. It can lead you and guide you to walk in a way that honors God in everything that you do and say. 
And if you feel a love for the world, if you have a love for fleshly things, then you need to go back to the foundation and make certain that you truly have followed Christ. But when you don't, when you, when you know Christ, those things tear you up inside. When you fail, when you stumble, it tears you up and you fall on your face in humility before God and you thank Him that He has taken your sin, past, present, and future, and now you are free from the penalty, the power, and one day you will be free from the presence of sin for eternity. That unstained country, not built with hands. There's a day coming where you and I will live in a reality, in an existence where we no longer have to deal with anything that has ever touched or been stained by sin. That's wonderful. So though while we're living here in this world... We're in the world, but not of the world. We're here to walk in such a way that it reflects God's holiness. And, and we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Him and His work. So don't allow the enemy to sidetrack you. And don't allow the cares of this world to choke you out. Because it's so easy to get distracted about the things around us. There's truly nothing Nothing that matters more than honoring God in the things that you say and you do in the way that you raise your children. And folks, the way you do that is by raising them in the knowledge and nurture and admonition of the Word of God. That's, that's how you have to do it. So there's coming a day when we stand before Him and all those things that we've done for Him with all the right motives will be, will be handed over to us. And I believe it's, it's most likely that we will be given a level of authority in the kingdom. And when that time comes to a close, we will take that, those gold, silver, precious stones. We will lay them at the feet of Jesus. We sing that song, we bow down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The believer, based upon this day, will be given a certain amount of authority to serve Christ in the kingdom. And when that comes to an end... When we have served Him in that period of time, we will remove the crowns and we will lay them and lay all authority at the feet of Christ. And then Christ will lay all authority, give it to the Father, and we will enter into the eternal state. What a glorious opportunity to show Jesus how much we love Him. See, we, we get caught up often thinking that, that the way things are right now is going to be the way it's going to be forever. But there are incredible, mind-blowing realities ahead for the believer in Jesus Christ. And we need to, that's the hope of glory, okay? Um, so we get to offer Him, offer our lives to Him. Uh, works with the right motives, our intents, uh, pure gold, silver, and precious stones. Um, and we know that all of that will be judged on that day, but how can we ensure that when we stand before Him? Is there a way that you and I, as believers in Christ, is there a way that we can ensure that on that day, all of our work will not be burned up? Is there something that we can submit to or do in the meantime to uh, ensure that that day is going to be a, an awesome day and that all of our work isn't burned up? I believe there is. And that is for the believer inviting judgment and accountability in your lives right now. You invite judgment and accountability into your lives right now. And I'm going to give you scriptural reasons why. Our first line of defense is the judgment of self. The judgment of self. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 through 
32. We're going to look at 31 first, and then we're going to flip over to Hebrews, and then we're going to flip back here to 1 Corinthians 11. So 1 Corinthians 11, 31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So we are responsible for first and foremost judging ourselves. And again, the Bible tells us how to have the mind of Christ. You take every thought captive. You look more closely at your will and your desires, your emotions, why you do the things that you do. What are my motives? What are the reasons why I do it? And we hold those things in comparison to what God's Word says. We compare them. We take our thoughts captive. We hold it up in light of Scripture. And then the things that do not align with Scripture, we throw away. We hold ourselves accountable to the truth of the Word, okay? And then our thoughts and our will and our emotions will begin to align and reflect what Scripture says. And folks, this is called biblical discernment. Discernment is not some spiritual gift power that someone has that all of a sudden, oh, oh, I feel something, my bones are buzzing, right? Like it's, it's not something that's just this crazy spiritual thing. It's like a spiritual discernment is biblical discernment. Read the Word of God. And if you know what the Word of God says, then when you're in those situations in which discernment is a necessity, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will guide you. God's wisdom will show you the way to go. That's how discernment works. That's called biblical discernment. And so it begins there with self-judgment, allowing God's Word to correct us first. And if we do that ourselves, then God will not have to correct us as often, okay? God does not ever condemn us, but He does discipline those He loves. And discipline and correction comes in different forms. Correction and discipline is not always uh, because you're getting out of line, okay? Because He's punishing, like He's not just punishing you. Here's the way it works. Those whom He loves, He corrects and chastens because He's making you more like Christ. He is conforming you to the image of His Son. So when you go through trials and tribulations, when you're persecuted, when, when you're made fun of, all of these things, okay, that correction is something you want to love and embrace because it's making you more like Him. Turn to Hebrews 12, 7 and 8 real quick. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8. It says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if you're facing trial and tribulation and you submit yourself to God and you trust Him, it's in that way that you know, again, that you are His son or His daughter because He's allowing you to be tested and tried in this life, okay? And you are becoming more and more like Him in this life. Um, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two. We're going to flip back to 1 Corinthians 11. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, that's pretty important to understand. When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So if we are His, He disciplines us. He makes us holy. And for the believer, 
Understand, there's no condemnation. It's not about Him punishing you. It's about Him making you more like Jesus. All right? So, our second line of defense is the judgment by our local church. Judgment by our local church. We are judged primarily as we place ourselves under the authority of a local church with elders, a local church that holds to the truths of Scripture. And this is practically non-existent, uh, non-existent in the church world today. But historically in the church, this has always been a part of the church, church discipline, okay? Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders. We talked about this last week. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I will give an account as a pastor, as your pastor, for whether or not I preach and teach the Word of God. If you put yourself under the authority of this local church, I will be held account. And he's saying in this, he's saying, submit to your pastors, to your leaders, for they keep watch over your souls. They're going to hold you accountable, okay? Because one day you will be held accountable by God. And it says, and if you do this... uh, They will do this with joy and not with groaning. So don't make my life difficult. That's what that's saying. (laughs) Don't make me uh, groan at night when I go home because, man, I just have to call them and talk to them again, right? (laughs) That's actually not really happened to any of you guys. You guys are so, so good. (laughs) You're so well behaved so far. (laughs) Um, Remember that if you refuse to submit to the authority of a biblical church, what he's saying in this passage, it only hurts you in the long run. Like you can run away from accountability. You don't have to have any accountability in your life. You can hide from uh, the judgment of your brothers and sisters in Christ in a godly way, according to Scripture. You can hide from that, but it's only going to hurt you. But he has a better design. If you understand that placing yourself and your family under the authority and accountability of a local church, that is God's perfect design. And you and your family will mature and you will grow in the context that He designed for the family and for the local church to flourish. And that's why it's important to come together. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard over, over the years, a, a preacher, I can have church in my deer stand. Well, not really. I get what you're saying, that's a nice you know, comment and all. I love nature as well, but you can't have church there because the church is the body, and we edify and uplift one another. There's only one context in which this takes place, and that is the local church. And he said, upon this rock, the Word of God and the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? The church is important. 1 Peter 4.1. 1 Peter 4.1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, look what it says, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It's making a connection here that when you face uh, trial and tribulation and suffering in the flesh, that it makes you more Christ-like, that your sin becomes something of the past. That's not to say that you're ever free totally of sin. I want to be clear. 
but it means that you will not be engaged in a habitual sin. 1 Peter 4.2 says to no longer live the rest of the time in the flesh for the lusts of men. It's saying that was over and done with, okay? But rather living your time that's left for the will of God. Isn't that cool? So once you're a believer, it's all about His will and no longer about your will. 1 Peter 4.3, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have worked out the desires of the Gentiles, basically the pagan ways, okay? Having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So those are the things that the unsaved people, the pagans do in the past, and they have no place in the life of the believer any longer, okay? That's... Just what Scripture says. Don't throw things at me. Just, just read what Scripture says. 1 Peter 4, 4. In all this, they are surprised. This is the response of the world. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. So in other words, when you don't act like they do anymore, they're going to taunt you. They're going to call you names. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to try to tempt you to join in with their lifestyle again. It says, but they, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For it is time for judgment. This is uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Again, it's drawing the comparison between the person who knows Christ, who is saved, and the person who doesn't know Christ and who has rejected the gospel. And he's saying, right now, let judgment begin in the house of God. Be accountable to one another. Judge one another. Pour out your hearts to one another. Your, uh, give your burdens to one another. That's the time to do this right now in the context of the local church, Okay? But those who don't have this, one day they're going to stand before God in a much different judgment scenario called the white throne judgment. And if you're there, it's over. It's done. There's no hope at that point. Paul is contrasting, again, how the believer lives this life accountable to him. Okay? So when someone's caught up in sin... And sometimes through a season, those who know Christ, and they can try to keep it hidden and keep it in the dark. But when you really become a part of a local church family, that biblical judgment and accountability within the local body is supposed to shine the light in the dark areas of your life. And that's what you're doing. You're inviting the light of Scripture and your brothers and sisters to shine the light in your life, in those dark areas of your life, and illuminate the areas in your life in which you need to submit to Christ more. Does that make sense to everybody? So the things that we all like to make excuses for, and we all do, right? We all, we all, there are things where we're like on the fence about, well, I don't know if I really feel like that's something I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Ask, does it honor God? Search Scripture and then make a decision based upon whether or not it truly honors God. But the, the joy for the believer is that we get to live free from the penalty, the power, and later the presence of sin. And your families in this life won't suffer the consequences 
of the sins you commit now, if you totally blow it now, your family won't suffer that generational sin. Not that it's some evil spirit that just keeps visiting the sons and the daughters and the sons. A generational curse is, look, when a family gets going one direction, you can't turn that around like that, right? The family starts heading off in a certain direction. Their mindset changes. The way they live changes. Your priorities and your passions as a family change. And you either have to completely turn your life around and sometimes sever yourself. What did Jesus say? That I've come not to bring peace but the sword and I'm going to turn father against daughter and, and mother against son. And it, it, it's, this, it's this reality of sometimes how the gospel and following Christ can sever you from the relationships of people you love because they reject the gospel and you accept it. All right? It's not saying we're supposed to be mean and push people out of our lives. It's just the nature of the truth. When we follow the truth, sometimes our relationships will suffer and we will lose relationships with people that we love, okay? But if we are followers of Christ, the whole point is that you want to be in the light at all times. Don't ever allow yourself to step into the darkness again. And when you're in the local church, you are purposefully putting yourself in the light, in the judgment and accountability of other believers. When you read God's Word and you submit to it, you are purposefully putting yourself in the light, holding yourself accountable to what Scripture says, okay? Um, so we submit to the Word, and it's in the light God will use us to accomplish His will, all right? He's going, if we purpose to stay in the light, He will use us, and we will be able to accomplish every single good work that He's prepared for us. I've heard it said so many times, uh, Pastor, don't judge me. You don't know my heart, right? How many times? You guys, anybody heard that? Don't judge me. You don't know my heart. Here's what I do know that Scripture says in Jeremiah. It says, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. It's wicked. Who can understand it? Without Christ... The heart is wicked. Don't follow your heart. That is the worst advice. Follow God's Word, okay? Believers, we're supposed to hold one another accountable. And this idea of going to church is, was never supposed to be a thing. Going to church, you are the church. You were baptized into the body of Christ. You are part of His body. It's not a thing we do. It's something that we are, and it, and it consumes us. He's a consuming fire. Our whole lives should be about Him and His purpose, okay? It's not a weekend experience. So, let me tell you what this doesn't mean, just to be clear. We do not judge others' works or speculate about their level of spirituality. And this is hard because this, is, this happens for all of us. We can look at our brother or sister and we can be like, hmm, like, you know, <laughs> I don't think they're, I don't, th I don't know about them. I don't know about that, right? We need to be careful, about that. All right? Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Let's look at this in its actual context. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. All right? That's what they love to quote, but let's look at the context. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard or measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck 
out of your brother's eye. He's not saying don't take the speck out. He's saying make sure that you're not a hypocrite. You need to deal with your own sin. That self-judgment first. Judge yourself first according to the Word of God. Get yourself right with God. Don't be a hypocrite. And then you are free to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see how that works in the body? Okay. Only God knows the true thoughts and intentions of someone's heart. So we should be rooting for our brothers and sisters. We should be praying for them, cheering them on. This is not also about judging unsaved people. We should really just check ourselves on how offended we get about how, how a godless government works and how the godless entertainment uh, uh, world acts, okay? They, most of those people are lost as goonie birds, okay? They don't know the truth from a lie. Uh, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous for us to be so offended by their sin when God's Word tells us sinners are going to act like sinners, the lost are going to act like the lost. We pray for them, but don't expect them to act holy. They're not going to act holy. The question is, in light of what the world is doing, are you living according to Scripture? Are you walking upright before God? Okay? As far as the judgment of unbelievers, Jesus spoke about this in His conversation with Nicodemus. I'm going to be closing here pretty soon, so hang with me just a few more minutes. And it's funny that People will quote the first part of this passage and they'll leave it at that. And they do this often when it comes to scriptures about judging. It's called a proof text when you take one piece of the Bible and you take it out of context and you use it to kind of drive a point home erroneously. All right? But John 3, 18 through 21, he's speaking with Nicodemus in the dark of the night. And he says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. See? See? God didn't send His Son in the world to judge the world. Why are you judging? Hold on a second. Let's keep reading. But that the world through Him might be saved. John 3.18 He who believes in Him is not judged. The only sin for which someone will be judged is unbelief. Whether or not they believed in Jesus Christ or whether they didn't. That's the sin right there. He who does not believe has been judged already. They're, we're not judging them. They're judged already. They're in condemnation. The Bible says the wrath of God is resting upon them. Unless something changes the scenario, they will die with the wrath of God resting upon them and they will stand before God in the white throne judgment. Okay? He's saying they have been judged already because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. You want to you know why politicians act the way they do? Because they love the darkness more than the light. And I'm painting with a broad brush. We know there are some who know Christ. Hollywood acts the way they do because they love the darkness more than they love the light. It's that simple. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. Isn't that interesting? We want to keep stuff in the dark. The lost want to keep, they want to keep their stuff in the dark. They don't want it to be exposed. They love sin, they love darkness, and that's the way they want to keep it. But if you love God, you will purposefully walk into the light 
You will call out His name. You will ask Him to wash you clean. Look at uh, verse 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. There we go again, the works of the believer. God's doing His works through the believer. And if you come to the light, He will work through you and in you and for you, and it'll all be for His glory alone. And when you stand before God on that day and you give an account on that day, you will have nothing to worry about. So if you desire to give your all for Him, then it's all going to work out all right. (laughs) Submit to the truth of God's Word daily. Allow it to sanctify you. Jesus said when He prayed right before He was crucified, He was praying for you and I, and He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth, and He left no doubt what He was talking about because He followed it up with this statement, Your Word is truth. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to be spiritual, if you want to be holy, walk by the truth of the Word of God. Let it transform you. That's discernment, as we discussed before. Be careful whom you allow to speak the word in your life to you, okay? This is important because if they don't tell you to study the word of God themselves, if they don't tell you to test even what they say, and here is my accountability as as your pastor, you hold what I say according to Scripture, and if I get out of line... You are invited to come to me and show me the Scripture. Pastor, you said this. I'm a little concerned. Raised a red flag. I just want to know your heart. Can we walk through this together? Brother, sister, I invite you to do that. That's part of a biblical, accountable relationship in the local body. Okay? But if you're listening to people who have no accountability in their life and they do not submit to elders and all they do is come up with new exciting ways to preach the Bible and God gave them a new thing... That's a major red flag, all right? We don't need any more new things. We have the one thing we need and will always need, and that's the Word of God revealed to us in Christ revealed in the Word. So keep yourself and your family within the biblical authority of a local church with appointed elders who will hold you accountable. If you are to step out of line, that's church discipline, and that's supposed to be a part of the local church. Make it your goal to dig in, to put down roots, to be a part of a family so that When things happen in your life, you've got a wonderful, godly, extended family who will celebrate with you, who will mourn with you, who will serve you, who will be there for you. You will have a wonderful local body, and that's what we're trying to build here, honestly. And I I understand that there's a lot of options out there, okay? But this is who we are. And I want to be so close to each and every one of you guys that you would call me in your deepest, darkest moments of life. You'd pour out your heart to to one another. You would hold one another accountable. That's what it's all about, okay? Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Bama seat, the judgment seat of Christ, in a little different fashion, talking about the foundation that's laid. And then we're going to talk more specifically about wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones, and how it actually, uh, you can gain an understanding of salvation, a real true understanding of salvation, sanctification, justification, and glorification, all from uh, a few scriptures relating to the judgment seat, the Bama seat of Christ, okay? So um, the main thing I want to know this morning is for those of you guys who maybe have not 
made a personal decision to submit to the truth of God's Word and say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I believe that this is something that, that God opens your eyes, and sometimes it's in, a, in a, a, an epic moment where it's emotional, and sometimes it's the truth. Your eyes are opened a little by little by little, and you just realize, yeah, I want to follow the Lord. I want to be certain that I know Him. And if that's you, anybody in the room, I invite you to get in touch with me so we can walk through Scripture and let's talk about what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. Let's nail that down. And then you can start walking uh, with the Lord, walking in accountability with your brothers and sisters, okay? And God can begin to build through you and the, wor- uh, the works that He's prepared for you beforehand. Amen? All right. I told Krista this morning this sermon was actually going to be short. I don't think it worked out that way. Sorry, y'all. But uh, do what? You were just, just thinking about that. So uh, my notes were shorter than usual. I'm really trying. I really don't want to keep you here more than 45 minutes. But if you guys will be patient with me, I will always pray and bring the word that I feel like the Lord's given me. Okay? So if again, if, if, if you're here under the umbrella of this local church, then you just got to trust that God's doing what He's wanting to do. Okay? So sometimes it's going to be 45 minutes. Sometimes it'll be an hour. Sometimes it may be 30. Who knows? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts. We look forward to this day, Lord, where we can stand before you and declare to you our love in in such an amazing way, Lord. You can look at the deeds and the words that we speak and see that our love is manifest in those things, and you will know that we love you. So, Father, I pray that you will use each and every person in this local body to serve you, to walk uprightly before you, to honor you and everything they do and everything they say, Father, and that we would be a local body that would bring glory to you in every way possible, and we can stand before you on that day with confidence. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, the one, the only one who deserves all the glory and praise, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all so much. If you can hang around and help um, clean up, that'd be awesome. If not, um, then that's okay too. We won't judge you, but we will hold you accountable. No, I'm just kidding. I do have a quick... Are you going to talk about...